Welcome to Bible Curious, where we explore the entire Bible from cover to cover, asking ourselves, what is the Holy Bible? What claims does it make about God? And what message does it have for us today? Whether you are faithful or unfaithful, believing, unbelieving, or just plain curious, this series is for you. I'm Arthur Milligan, and today we will be reading Exodus chapters 13 through 15 from the World English Bible. You can find our reading plan at biblecurious.org plan. Exodus chapter 13, Introduction. Previously, we witnessed the final plague sent by God upon Egypt, which was the death of all the firstborn sons in the land. As a result, Pharaoh finally relented and allowed the Israelites to leave Egypt. Here, the Israelites prepare to leave Egypt and begin their journey towards the promised land. God instructs Moses regarding consecration of the firstborn and the observance of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Because he spared the firstborn of Israel from judgment during the Passover, Yahweh will declare that the firstborn now belong to him, and that any additional firstborn would need to be redeemed by sacrificing an additional lamb. We'll also see how God led the Israelites with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, guiding them towards their destination, as well as the fulfillment of an ancient oath sworn by the sons of Israel to their brother Joseph back when they originally entered into captivity in Egypt. This chapter includes Dedication of the Firstborn, Pillars of Cloud and Fire. Exodus chapter 13 Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Sanctify to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and of animal, it is mine. Moses said to the people, Remember this day, in which you came out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand Yahweh brought you out from this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. Today you go out in the month Abib. It shall be when Yahweh brings you into the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, and the Amorite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and in the seventh day shall be a feast to Yahweh. Unleavened bread shall be eaten throughout the seven days, and no leavened bread shall be seen with you. No yeast shall be seen with you within all your borders. You shall tell your son in that day, saying, It is because of that which Yahweh did for me when I came out of Egypt. It shall be for a sign to you on your hand and for a memorial between your eyes that Yahweh's law may be in your mouth, for with a strong hand Yahweh has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this ordinance in its season from year to year. It shall be when Yahweh brings you into the land of the Canaanite 
as he swore to you and your fathers, and will give it to you, that you shall set apart to Yahweh all that opens the womb, and every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have. The males shall be Yahweh's, every firstborn of a donkey. You shall redeem with a lamb, and if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And you shall redeem all the firstborn of man among your sons. It shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is this? That you shall tell him, By strength of hand, Yahweh brought us out from Egypt, from the house of bondage. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, Yahweh killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of livestock. Therefore I sacrifice to Yahweh all that opens the womb, being males, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be for a sign on your hand and for symbols between your eyes, for by strength of hand Yahweh brought us out of Egypt. When Pharaoh had let the people go, God didn't lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and they return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness, by the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up armed out of the land of Egypt. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had made the children of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones away from here with you. They took their journey from Sukkoth and encamped in Etham, in the edge of the wilderness. Yahweh went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might go by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night didn't depart from before the people. The bones of Joseph have important historical significance, not for the bones themselves, but rather for the documents that Joseph had stashed away in his own sarcophagus before dying. Joseph kept detailed records of his own life, which would become the final 14 chapters of Genesis. Additionally, Joseph had in his possession his father Jacob's autobiography, which would give us Genesis chapters 25 through 35. This trove of documents would comprise half of the book of Genesis, while the other half would later be recovered from the prophet Balaam, king of Edom, who inherited the history of man from the Garden of Eden all the way up to Abraham's son Isaac, plus whatever else he might have obtained from Egypt during the ninth plague of darkness. Yahweh's claim over all the firstborn of Israel might seem distasteful to our modern sensibilities, but it was a valid claim. After all, just one day earlier, all the children of Israel lived as property of Pharaoh, and Yahweh, as victorious conqueror, had a right to the spoils of victory. According to human tradition, the firstborn has always received 
preferential treatment within the patriarchy, and hereditary power has flowed from father to firstborn son. By claiming this right for himself, Yahweh shows that his will takes priority over human tradition, which is forever vulnerable to human corruption. Moreover, it is through his claim over the firstborn that Yahweh institutionalizes the idea of substitutional atonement, teaching an important lesson to his people. We already learned from the Garden of Eden that the wages of sin is death. However, by sacrificing an innocent lamb, the otherwise condemned firstborn may be redeemed and be able to stand before Yahweh. Atonement means covering, and does not make a guilty person innocent. Rather, this sacrificial lamb receives the capital punishment which should have been due to the Israelite who was spared, and is a reminder that God can choose to extend mercy as a substitute for justice. Exodus chapter 14, Introduction Now that the Exodus has begun, Yahweh is ready to perform one of the most spectacular miracles of the Old Testament, the parting of the Red Sea. Last chapter, Exodus 13.17 said, When Pharaoh had let the people go, God didn't lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near, for God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and they return to Egypt. The angel of Yahweh, who was leading the Israelites out of Egypt, wanted to set up a dramatic confrontation between the fleeing Israelites and the armies of Pharaoh by taking them directly into a dead end where all hope would seem lost. Again, if you pay close attention to the details of this miracle, such as walls of water to the right and to the left, it will be clear that this event could not have been a natural occurrence. This chapter includes Pharaoh pursues the Israelites, parting the Red Sea. Exodus chapter 14 Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, that they turn back and encamp before Pihahiroth, between Migdol and the sea, before Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp opposite it by the sea. Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are entangled in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will follow after them, and I will get honor over Pharaoh and over all his armies. And the Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh. They did so. The king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and of his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, What is this we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? He prepared his chariot and took his army with him. And he took six hundred chosen chariots, and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over all of them. Yahweh hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel. 
for the children of Israel went out with a high hand. The Egyptians pursued them. All the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen, and his army overtook them, encamping by the sea, beside Pihahiroth, before Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh came near, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they were very afraid. The children of Israel cried out to Yahweh. They said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you treated us this way to bring us out of Egypt? Isn't this the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Moses said to the people, Don't be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of Yahweh, which he will work for you today. For you will never again see the Egyptians whom you have seen today. Yahweh will fight for you, and you shall be still. Yahweh said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Speak to the children of Israel that they go forward. Lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. Then the children of Israel shall go into the middle of the sea on dry ground. Behold, I myself will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they will go in after them. I will get myself honor over Pharaoh and over all his armies, over his chariots and over his horsemen. The Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh when I have gotten myself honor over Pharaoh, over his chariots, and over his horsemen. The angel of God, who went before the camp of Israel, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. It came between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel. There was a cloud and the darkness, yet it gave light by night. One didn't come near the other all night. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and Yahweh caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all night, and made the sea dry land. And the waters were divided. The children of Israel went into the middle of the sea, on the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the middle of the sea, all of Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. In the morning watch, Yahweh looked out on the Egyptian army through the pillar of fire and of cloud and confused the Egyptian army. He took off their chariot wheels, and they drove them heavily, so that the Egyptians said, Let's flee from the face of Israel, for Yahweh fights for them against the Egyptians. Yahweh said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the waters may come again on the Egyptians, on their chariots, and on their horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its strength 
when the morning appeared and the Egyptians fled against it. Yahweh overthrew the Egyptians in the middle of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, even all Pharaoh's army that went in after them into the sea. There remained not so much as one of them. But the children of Israel walked on dry land in the middle of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus Yahweh saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great work which Yahweh did to the Egyptians, and the people feared Yahweh. And they believed in Yahweh and in his servant Moses. So, exactly where did the crossing of the Red Sea take place? This is also a hotly debated topic among biblical scholars today. Looking at a map of the Sinai Peninsula, you will see that the Red Sea has two spurs coming off its northern tip, the Gulf of Suez, forming the western shore of the Sinai Peninsula, and the Gulf of Aqaba, forming the eastern shore. If we cross-reference the names of places such as Pihahiroth, Baal Zephon, and Migdol by the Sea with Egyptian archaeological sources, then it is highly probable that the crossing happened somewhere near the Gulf of Suez along the eastern border of the ancient kingdom of Egypt. However, the Apostle Paul testifies in Galatians 4.25 that Mount Sinai lies in Arabia, and many take that as a reference to the Arabian Peninsula and conclude the crossing must have taken place in the Gulf of Aqaba. The name Red Sea that we see in English translations actually comes from the Greek Septuagint Bible, which reads Erythra Thalassa, literally Red Sea. But a literal translation of the original Hebrew term Yam Suf would be something more like Sea of Reeds, which again would point us to the Gulf of Suez, since Suez had a system of canals and lakes coming off its northern tip where reeds would have been common while the Gulf of Aqaba did not. But Yam Suf could also be read Yam Sof, which would mean Sea of the End. This is also plausible because this body of water formed the eastern border of the Kingdom of Egypt, which Egyptians considered to be the edge of the civilized world. The prophet Moses had a special relationship with the angel of Yahweh, and they met regularly throughout the Torah. Exodus 33.11 states, Yahweh spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. However, for the children of Israel, this relationship was much more distant and spectacular. The people saw Yahweh less as a person and more as a disembodied force. And this perception is the prevailing view among the faithful today. For example, in this chapter, Yahweh appears as 
a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. But if you read carefully, you will see that Yahweh is not the pillar itself, rather that the pillar is a physical sign letting the Israelites know that the angel of Yahweh is near. Verse 19 reads, The angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. Exodus chapter 15 Introduction Having escaped Pharaoh's armies in most spectacular fashion by the mighty hand of Yahweh, Moses and his people raised their voices in song, praising Yahweh for his miraculous deliverance as well as their newfound freedom and redemption. This Song of Moses stands as one of the most ancient examples of poetry in all the world's literature, describing in striking, vivid detail this most memorable of God's miracles before moving into a prophetic section where Moses declares the reaction of various foreign powers once news of this event travels throughout the ancient world. As the song closes, we are brought into a deserted wilderness where the children of Israel fear the ravages of thirst and must continue to rely upon God's provision for their very survival. This chapter includes Moses' Song of Deliverance, The Waters of Marah. Exodus chapter 15 Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to Yahweh and said, I will sing to Yahweh, for he has triumphed gloriously. He has thrown the horse and his rider into the sea. Yah is my strength and song. He has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. Yahweh is a man of war. Yahweh is his name. He has cast Pharaoh's chariots and his army into the sea. His chosen captains are sunk in the Red Sea. The deeps cover them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Yahweh, is glorious in power. Your right hand, Yahweh, dashes the enemy in pieces. In the greatness of your excellency, you overthrow those who rise up against you. You send out your wrath. It consumes them as stubble. With the blast of your nostrils, the waters were piled up. The floods stood upright as a heap. The deeps were congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the plunder. My desire will be satisfied on them. I will draw my sword, my hand will destroy them. You blew with your wind. The sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, Yahweh, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand. The earth swallowed them. 
You, in your loving kindness, have led the people that you have redeemed. You have guided them in your strength to your holy habitation. The peoples have heard. They tremble. Pangs have taken hold of the inhabitants of Philistia. Then the chiefs of Edom were dismayed. Trembling takes hold of the mighty men of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread falls on them. By the greatness of your arm, they are as still as a stone until your people pass over, Yahweh, until the people you have purchased pass over. You will bring them in and plant them in the mountain of your inheritance, the place, Yahweh, which you have made for yourself to dwell in, the sanctuary, Lord, which your hands have established. Yahweh will reign forever and ever. For the horses of Pharaoh went in with his chariots and with his horsemen into the sea, and Yahweh brought back the waters of the sea on them. But the children of Israel walked on dry land in the middle of the sea. Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and with dances. Miriam answered them, Sing to Yahweh, for he has triumphed gloriously. He has thrown the horse and his rider into the sea. Moses led Israel onward from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they couldn't drink from the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore its name was called Marah. The people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Then he cried to Yahweh. Yahweh showed him a tree, and he threw it into the waters, and the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. He said, If you will diligently listen to Yahweh your God's voice, and will do that which is right in his eyes, and will pay attention to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have put on the Egyptians." For I am Yahweh who heals you. They came to Elim, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees. They encamped there by the waters. One motif which we see throughout the Bible is how it uses numbers to communicate spiritual significance. The oasis of Elim, where the Israelites encamped after leaving Egypt, contained 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. The number 12 reminds us of the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles of Jesus, while the 70 palm trees calls to mind the 70 nations proceeding from Noah's family after the flood, the 70 elders of Israel, and the 70 disciples sent by Jesus to evangelize in the Gospel of Luke. While it's easy to presume that these recurring numbers were chosen for literary purposes only and did not reflect actual history, I would caution against this presumption and choose rather 
to see these numbers as evidence that God shapes real events to conform to predetermined outcomes. Let us pray from Psalm 106. Remember me, Yahweh, with the favor that you show to your people. Visit me with your salvation, that I may see the prosperity of your chosen, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. We have sinned with our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. Our fathers didn't understand your wonders in Egypt. They didn't remember the multitude of your loving kindnesses, but were rebellious at the sea, even at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his mighty power known. He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it was dried up. So he led them through the depths as through a desert. He saved them from the hand of him who hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. The waters covered their adversaries. There was not one of them left. Then they believed his words. They sang his praise. Thank you for listening. If you've satisfied any of your Bible curiosity, please rate this series. If you have feedback, write a review. And if you are still curious for more, please subscribe so that we can send you timely updates and join us for our next episode where we will be reading Exodus chapters 16 through 18, Bread from Heaven. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of God's mouth. This is Arthur Milliken saying good night and God bless. Thank you.